You are listening to a sermon preached at the First Christian Church of St. Ignatius in St. Ignatius, Montana. For more information, you can visit us at www.firstchristiansti.org. Good to have everybody here this morning. Please turn to Proverbs chapter 27. Proverbs 27, where we're going to start this morning. Two preachers were standing by the side of the road holding up a sign that read, The end is near. Turn yourself around now before it's too late. They planned to hold the sign up to each passing car. Leave us alone, you religious nuts, yelled the driver of the first car as he sped by. From around the curve, they heard screeching tires and a big splash. Do you think, one said to the other, We should just put up a sign that says bridge out instead. Okay. (laughs) Warning signs are everywhere, aren't they? I mean, they're on buildings, they're on product packaging, on vehicles, on posts alongside the road, on fences. They're everywhere. And what a waste of space, time and money. I mean, you know, uh, who has time to read all those signs? And just think of all the money we could save if we didn't have to manufacture all those signs and pay people to put them up and maintain them over time. I mean, besides, they're all just common sense things anyway, right? Nobody really needs to see them. Well, maybe not. I mean, you know, this could seem like a pretty pointless sign. Now, it indicates that the upcoming overpass has a clearance of 11 feet, 8 inches. Why would anyone ever need to know that? Well, this guy needed to know that. That's not a bad... Uh, this, is a, this is a guy having a bad day here. I think maybe warning signs are important after all. Well, of course they're important. You all know that. Uh, but, but as long as we have warning signs that show us what to, what, what to watch out for, we're all going to be just fine, right? I mean, as long as they put up the sign, nobody's ever going to get in trouble. Well, maybe this guy. He got in trouble. Which, you know, makes you wonder, how did that happen? Because the signs were there. And presumably, he's supposed to know how, how tall his trailer is. I mean, I can think of at least three answers to how this happened. Either the driver didn't see the signs, he didn't actually know how tall the trailer was, or he didn't believe the signs. Well, 11 feet, 8 inches, who made that up, right? Yeah. I really don't know which answer applies here, if maybe there's some other explanation, but this guy still got stuck in spite of the signs. Now, not all warning signs are explicitly posted for us to view. I think these come more under the common sense or reasonable expectation categories. We even have sayings that reflect these ideas. If you play with fire, you're going to get burned. Yeah, you guys know that. Common sense, right? Fire is hot. Don't mess with it. We might tell someone, you're skating on thin ice when they engage in risky behavior. You're dancing with the devil. You ever heard that one? Yeah, you're dancing with the devil. That's another expression that warns someone that they're headed the wrong direction. Hey, this is not a good place for you to be. This is dangerous in some way. Now, anybody ever heard this one? If you mess with the bull, 
You're going to get the horns. You have heard that. All right. Now, what does it mean? Well, it means that if you, if you provoke someone, you should expect an aggressive response, right? That, that's all it means. Well, no, actually, maybe we should take that a little more literally. Yeah. Yesterday was the first day of the annual running of the bulls, which takes place in Pamplona, Spain. Anybody ever been there for that? Me either. I've never been there. Each day for eight days, six bulls and six steers, the bulls are the black ones, are herded down a nearly thousand-yard course through the streets of Pamplona. Thrill-seekers and those wanting to demonstrate their bravery run ahead of the bulls until they enter the arena where the bullfights take place. Let's do a little math. If you can run a six-minute mile, anybody can run a six-minute mile? Several. Yay. Good for you. You're, you're averaging 10 miles per hour. If you can run a five-minute mile, any five-minute milers? Ooh, five-minute miles. You're averaging 12 miles an hour. The bulls are averaging 15 miles an hour. Okay? So, yeah, you do the math, right? Now, yesterday, only, I say only, only one person was gored. Four more people were injured, which I think means trampled. And I think you can see one of them right there. I think that guy was trampled. There might be another one down over here. I'm not sure if that one's down or not. But you can see the bulls are kind of looking around to see who they missed back in the back there. All right. The point is that warning signs surround us. Whether they're presented as literal signs like bridge closed or common sense principles like running down the street in front of 1,400-pound bulls is dangerous, or if they come to us in some other way, these warning signs are there to keep us from harming ourselves or others along the way. Yet, how many times have you heard someone relating their particular tale of woe, and there's, I mean, there's all kinds of things. These are just examples. Lost another job. There's always more month than there is money. The marriage is unraveling. You really want to ask, well, but didn't you see this coming? Wasn't there anything along the way that gave you a heads up as to where this was going to take you? Weren't you even a little bit suspicious? Surely there were some early warning signs, something. Now, you may not ask those questions out of politeness or some other motivation, but if you did ask them, you'd probably find out that there were some red flags along the way, you know, some pang of conscience, Maybe a warning from an employer, or a notice from a debt collector, maybe a verse from scripture, or the advice of a friend or a mentor, but that they figured that things would just work out somehow, you know, I guess magically or something. Our starting verse today is Proverbs chapter 27, verse 12, which says, a prudent man sees evil and hides himself. The naive proceed and pay the penalty. Paying attention to the warning signs that we encounter and acting on what they say will help us avoid the unwanted consequences of sinful and foolish behavior. Today's message is called, Should Have Seen That Coming. We'll start by considering the two parts of Proverbs chapter 27, verse 12. Let's listen to it again. On there we go. Let's listen to it again. Proverbs twenty-seven, twelve. A prudent man 
sees evil and hides himself, the naive proceed and pay the penalty. Now, your translation may say simple instead of naive. Solomon doesn't use the words wise and foolish here, but the choices that these two make could be characterized that way. Two different kinds of people, two different choices, and two very different outcomes. And and know that when I say prudent man or simple man or naive man, I'm referring to all of us here, okay? It's just a convenience thing. So, ladies, you're not excluded, just so you know. All right. So the prudent... The prudent refers to someone who is experienced in life, who could even be described as cunning or clever. The word carries those connotations. The prudent man has his eyes open. He's looking. He's analyzing. He's interpreting. He's informing himself about what is going on in the world around him. More specifically, he's aware of his own life situation, how he's gotten to where he is. And he's always watching for the best course as he looks to the future. He sees the evil that is coming because he's looking for what is coming. Certainly, not everything that might happen in the future is wrong, bad, or dangerous. But the prudent man stays on the alert, watching for signs of such things. He learns to look at his own life objectively, not assuming that the rules of life apply only to other people. But he knows that those rules govern his own life as well. Now, what kind of rules am I talking about to which the prudent man is subject? And he knows he is subject. First, there are the physical properties of the universe, things like gravity, inertia, heat, and cold, time, and the limitations of the the human body to withstand those properties. And we'll talk about those things a little bit more when we talk about the simple man or the naive man. Then there are the rules of what I call the economy of life. Now, when I said economy, many of you probably thought about money and finances, and those things are a part of that. But the economy of life also includes principles like first things first. You get out of things what you put into them. Work hard. Don't spend more than you earn personal responsibility and accountability, providing for for your family, and other things like these that allow you to have a life that holds together even in the midst of the most difficult times. Now, there's considerable overlap between the rules of the economy of life and the rules laid down by God for our lives in the scriptures. The prudent man understands his accountability to God And he directs his life in in a way that it is glorifying and pleasing to God. He focuses not only on the physical aspects of his life, but he places an even greater emphasis on the spiritual aspects of his life. The prudent man is a man of faith. We were talking about faith in Sunday school this morning, Hebrews chapter 11. A lot of good things there to talk about about faith and what it is. The prudent man is a man of faith devoted and submissive to God. And the prudent man makes use of every available resource so he can make the best possible decisions in order to arrive at the best possible future. He doesn't wait for the future to happen and then react to it. 
He plans ahead, knowing that today's decisions affect tomorrow's circumstances. In contrast, there we go. In contrast, Solomon says that, that the naive or simple man moves ahead when he shouldn't, and he pays a penalty for doing so. The word simple or naive refers to one who doesn't have much experience. Someone said one time that experience is what you get right after you needed it, right? Yeah. Okay, you think about that for a minute. Experience is what you get right after you needed it. Well, we'll move on. It's true that we can and should learn from our mistakes and experiences, but those are not the only resources available to us. The naive man doesn't even use the resources that are available. <clears throat> a simple man lives in the moment, doing what it seem, whatever seems easiest or most fun or most convenient, most likely to impress others maybe sometimes. The future is not a concern to the simple man, as the implication in the verse that we read is that the simple man sees the evil coming, maybe, but continues on anyway. The naive man rationalizes his actions even when he knows better. And you'll hear this in expressions like, well, I know I can't afford it, but I really want it. Or I know God has set boundaries on my relationships with the opposite sex, but those things are old-fashioned, and this makes me feel good. See, these are rationalization. The naive man engages in risky behavior, thinking that he will get away with it even when others don't, like this young man. This is Jackson Coe, a 25-year-old former resident of New York City. His social media pages contain many pictures of his thrill-seeking exploits, including dangling his legs off the top of a very tall building in Manhattan, doing backflips off of boats and bridges and cliffs. On Thursday, this past week, he was found dead behind a six-story building in Manhattan, and authorities say that he suffered injuries consistent with a fall. Now, the death of Jackson Coe is tragic, but not entirely unexpected. In 2016, another 25-year-old man fell to his death off the top of a subway train that he was trying to surf. In 2015, a 20-year-old man fell from the top of the Four Seasons Hotel in New York City in his effort to get some good pictures. These young men, along with far too many others, lost their lives when the physical rules of the universe caught up to them. And that's what I was talking about. You have to know that there are physical rules of the universe and that there's a limit to what the human body can withstand when it comes to how those are applied. The actor James Dean Way old now. Probably a lot of you haven't heard. Anybody heard of James Dean? Okay, all the old people know James Dean. Yeah, got it. The actor James Dean is famous for saying, live fast, die young, leave a good-looking corpse. You heard that? Yeah. He was 24 when he died in a car accident, at which time he was likely speeding, perhaps quite excessively. And he accomplished two out of three of his life ambitions. 
I don't think a good-looking corpse was on that list. The economy of life issues and spiritual issues follow suit for the simple man. In 1 Corinthians 15.32, the Apostle Paul is discussing the significance of the resurrection of Jesus Christ, specifically, and the idea of resurrection from the dead for anyone in general. In the last half of that verse, he says, if the dead are not raised... If that's the situation, if there's no resurrection, not for Jesus, not for me, not for anybody, if the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. But see, that's the philosophy of the naive man, regardless of whether the resurrection is true or not. Live for today. Go for the gusto. You only live once. It's as though eternity doesn't matter. Spiritual things don't matter. Even God himself doesn't matter. The life of the simple man can be summed up by the words of Proverbs fourteen twelve. There is a way which seems right to a man, but its end is the way of death. Now, is that all there is? Or is there hope for the simple man? Well, let's turn to Proverbs twenty six eleven, And, uh, Sorry to be doing this to you now, but we're, we're doing it to you somewhere between lunch and breakfast, not at lunch and breakfast. So Proverbs 26.11 says this. Like a dog that returns to its vomit is a fool who repeats his folly. Now that, that's pretty graphic. Pretty graphic. Needs to be said, and it's the first step to becoming a prudent person. Now, when I was growing up, my best friend down the street had a dog named Wiggles. Now, those of you that were in my class in school this past year have heard this story before. You're going to get to hear it again, although in abbreviated form, right? Okay. He had a dog named Wiggles. Wiggles was a shaggy, smelly dog that spent quite a bit of time in the house. And I don't know if there was something wrong with Wiggles or if there was something wrong with the food they gave him or that just didn't agree with him, but Wiggles was frequently heard and or seen vomiting up whatever he'd been fed. In the kitchen, in the hallway, in the living room, it didn't seem to matter, but it gets worse. Wiggles did exactly what this verse in Proverbs describes. He returned to his vomit and consumed it again. And I always thought that that was the most disgusting thing I'd ever seen in my life. Anybody ever witness this with a different dog? Probably not with Wiggles. You guys never know. Yeah, disgusting, isn't it? Absolutely detestable. I mean, just like, ugh. I want to go home. Yeah, sorry, man. I can't be your friend anymore. You got this dog. I'm going home. It really is disgusting. But Solomon says that the fool that repeats his folly, or you could say that the simple person who keeps making the same bad choice, is just as disgusting. For the simple person to become a prudent person, He must recognize that he's getting the same bad results from his life because he's making the same bad choices over and over. This is the point at which the light goes on and the naive person says, there's got to be a better way. All of a sudden, he isn't nearly as naive as he was before. The next step is to get godly counsel about how to make better choices and what those choices are. Proverbs 12, 15 says that the way of a fool is right in his own eyes, but a wise man is he who listens to counsel. Now, yes, we we learn from our own mistakes, 
But sometimes those mistakes come with consequences that cost more than we can afford to pay, as in the case of Jackson Coe. He learned how foolhardy it was to place himself in that kind of danger, but he never had a chance to apply the experience he gained. The person who realizes that his life is not going the way it should needs to open up God's word first. That's the place to start. In Proverbs chapter 1, Solomon portrays wisdom as a woman calling out in the streets, appealing to all who will listen. In verses 22 and 23, she, that is wisdom, says, How long, O naive ones, will you love being simple-minded? And scoffers delight themselves in scoffing, and fools hate knowledge. Turn to my reproof. Behold, I will pour out my spirit on you. I will make my words known to you. The information needed to turn the simple person into a prudent person, is available in God's word. And if you don't understand it, there are people available who do understand it and who can explain it to you. Make use of those resources. This is what we do at the church as we study and explain God's word like we're doing right now. This is what we do in our homes as godly parents teach their children from the scriptures those principles that help their lives hold together instead of letting them fall apart. This is what we do at Pine Haven, providing godly instruction and example in order to show that there is a better way to live, and it's God's way. You'll also find that prudent people can share their own learning experiences with you so that you don't have to make the same mistakes. Some people will will say that the only way that they can learn is from their own mistakes. Well, I just got to make my own mistakes, learn, learn from that. You maybe heard somebody say that. I have. But it's just not true. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, Paul talks about learning from what happened to the Israelites as they wandered in the wilderness. They're back in, in the book of Exodus. So we don't have to make the mistakes that they did regarding things like idolatry and craving evil things. Do you have to fall off of a six-story building and kill yourself in order to learn the lesson that Jackson Co. learned? I certainly hope not because it'd be the last thing you ever learned. Learning the lessons God's word has for us and the lessons we gain from the mistakes others have made is really important, but it's not enough. James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25, possibly a familiar passage to you, but I want you to listen to it and read along with me as though it is the first time you've ever encountered it. This is James chapter 1, verses 22 through 25. It says, but prove yourselves doers of the word and not merely hearers who delude themselves. For if anyone is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks at his natural face in a mirror. For once he has looked at himself and gone away, he has immediately forgotten what kind of person he was. But one who looks intently at the perfect law, the law of liberty, and abides by it, not having become a forgetful hearer, but an effectual doer, this man will be blessed in what he does. Now, isn't that just the most absurd thing you ever heard? Who looks at himself in the mirror, and then the instant he turns away, forgets what he looks like? I mean, nobody does that. But how many people 
know a lot about the Bible, but they don't actually use that knowledge. You can have all the Bible knowledge and life experience knowledge in the world, but it doesn't do you a bit of good unless you apply it. You've got to learn it, and then you've got to use it. And once we've committed ourselves to the path of the prudent, how do we stay on it? 1 Corinthians 16, 13 gives us four principles that will help us do just that. 1 Corinthians 16, 13 says, Be on the alert, stand firm in the faith, act like men, be strong. Now, there isn't anything complicated about those ideas, just as there isn't anything complicated about the principles we've been talking about through the entire message. But neither are they easy to follow. Let's cover the four principles of 1 Corinthians 16, 13 briefly. Keep up your guard. Our opening verse this morning, Proverbs 27, 12, said that the prudent man sees evil coming. He's watching, he's alert, on the lookout, awake, on guard. One of the things required to stay on the path of the prudent is to keep up your guard. Don't stop being on the alert. Be aware of what's going on in your life, in all the facets and aspects that exist there, whether spiritual, financial, relational, things of personal responsibility, morality, ethics, whatever they might be. Be aware of what's going on in your life. And as much as it is possible for you to know, understand why those things are the way they are. Why you are where you are and you are like you are. Look for and understand the connections between choices you've made in the past and what you've done previously and how that is affecting your life now. Because that will guide the choices that you make now and how it affects your life in the future. If you let your guard down and become complacent, don't expect good things to happen. The second principle there was stand firm in the faith. Make sure your relationship with God is as strong as it can possibly be. That means learning and applying the principles of God's word to your life. But it also means having the perpetual commitment to trusting God fully in everything you do. And not doing things his way just because you have to or feel like you have to because God wants it and God's going to be mad at us if we don't do it. No, that's not why we do this. Doing things God's way because you know that he loves you and because he wants what is best for you. And that's why he's directed your life this way in his scriptures, because it's for your benefit. To that end, you pray for his direction and strength to live the life that is fully submitted to his will, glorifying him in every possible way and building up the body of Christ. And then Paul says, act like men. Now, what does it mean to act like men? Our culture's idea of acting like men is sometimes very much like the simple man described in Proverbs 27, 12. Oh, do whatever you feel like and worry about the consequences later. Don't let anyone tell you what to do. Be generally irresponsible and live for yourself in all things. Well, that's kind of the portrayal of what acting like men is sometimes in our culture, but that's not what Paul meant when he wrote, act like men. Being a man, acting like a man, means having a mature mindset 
that considers what is truly important and then acts accordingly. Being a man means doing the right thing, even if it is the difficult thing. Being a man means working hard, providing for your family, raising your children in a godly way, and leading responsibly in the church. I don't want you women to feel left out. After all, this is Montana, where the men are men and the women are too. (laughs) These principles aren't just for men. Things like taking responsibility for yourself, not just doing what's right, but also standing up for what's right, being a good example, being able to provide godly counsel to those who need it. These are things that all of us can do now or we can do once we have reached a suitable point of knowledge and maturity. So when it says act like men, that's all y'all there. And then the fourth principle, to be strong. In Ephesians 6.10, just before Paul instructs us to put on the full armor of God, he says, finally, the preface to putting on the full, full armor of God, he says, finally, be strong in the Lord and in the strength of his might. We are strong when God is working through us. If God isn't really in control of your life, you won't have the strength that you need to stay on the path of the prudent. But when you're fully submitted to God, living obediently to his word and trusting him in all your ways, his strength will help you stay on the path of the prudent. Now, most of us here, maybe all of us, if we're completely honest with ourselves, have at least one, I should have seen that coming, moment. Okay? I've got mine. I'm guessing you have yours. If only we had applied what we know and what we knew then from God's word, If only we had listened to that friend or parent or teacher or house parent or other mentor who gave us good advice about what was coming in our lives, but we ignored it. If only we had taken the time to consider the outcome of what we are about to do instead of just doing it without thinking about it. Wouldn't we have saved ourselves a world of grief? And while we can learn from those experiences, once we reach a certain point, It's too late to change what we set in motion. It's not too late to do differently next time. It's not too late to take a different direction afterward. But it's too late to change what we've already set in motion. These sermons and Proverbs that I'm preaching this summer are loosely based on Andy Stanley's book titled The Principle of the Path, How to Get from Where You Are to Where You Want to Be. In that book... Andy Stanley says this, Ignore the signs and pay the price. When it dawns on you that you're addicted, that's not the time to start thinking about more accountability and increased discipline. It's too late for that. When your credit cards are full and you're afraid to check the answering machine, that's not the time to consider developing a budget and altering your spending habits. When your spouse serves you with papers, that's not the time to begin working on your marriage. That opportunity is in the rearview mirror. When the pregnancy test reads positive, that's not the time to start reevaluating the soundness of your moral compass or whether he's really the right guy for you. Now, these are all things that can be avoided by the person who's watching out for them and who's committed to doing whatever it takes to protect himself from them. And even if one or more of these things or things like them have already happened in your life, it's not too late 
to do things differently the next time. Too late to go back and change that? Yes. And we all have those moments. We all have those moments of things that we've done. It's over. We can't change it, but we can do differently next time. Recognize that it was bad choices that got you to that place, so now you need a different approach. Start really listening to godly counsel from God's word and from godly people. Apply what you've learned and see how things turn out better when you do them God's way. Learn to be watchful, considering how things are likely to turn out before you actually do them. Grow in your faith, relying more and more on God and his ways. Think and act more on the principles of accountability and self-responsibility than on the principles of convenience and pleasure. And submit fully to God. Allow his strength to work in your life. Now, as bad as the outcomes of bad choices can be in this life, the last place you want to be and potentially the last place you could find yourself is in hell thinking, I should have seen this coming. And if that is where you end up, that is the last place you'll ever be, and you'll be there forever. And I'm not saying that to try to manipulate you somehow into deciding to follow Jesus Christ. I'm just stating the facts. Our opening verse this morning said, the naive proceed and pay the penalty. Well, hell is the penalty for proceeding through life, still carrying your own burden of sin. It's not that you have to carry your own sin. Jesus Christ died on a cross in order to take away your sin and its penalty. But you have to let him take it away. You have to enter into that agreement with him. When you believe in Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, when you turn away from your sinful life, you commit to living life according to God's word, prudent life. You confess your faith in Jesus to others and are immersed into him. He will take away that burden of sin and the penalty that goes along with it. And you'll also receive the gift of the Holy Spirit. His presence in you identifies you as belonging to Jesus Christ as well as providing you with counsel and strength. And when he returns, when Christ returns and takes you home to be with him in heaven for all eternity, you can thankfully say, I'm glad I saw that coming and acted accordingly. If you want Jesus to remove the burden and penalty of sin from you today, please come forward as we stand and sing our invitation song.